All right, guys, welcome to the Crazy Pills Podcast. Today I'm going to talk about um, Afghanistan and then some like some interesting uh, stories I had when I was there, some thoughts, and then how some of like, the bigger picture stuff, how it points to what's going on in our society and the world today. So a uh, quick background on me. Um, I was in the Air Force, did intelligence, and uh, I was actually in Afghanistan in 2010 for about seven months. Uh, I was assigned... Well, I was attached to a special operations uh, unit. Uh, spent most of my time in Bagram, which is the main uh, base there, uh, pretty close to the capital city of Kabul, which if you've, been, if you've been following the stuff going on in Afghanistan, a lot of the pictures and videos are from what's going on in Kabul, which is the capital city of Afghanistan. Uh, I did travel down to Kandahar a few times, which is in the south. Uh, that's where uh, there was the most violence. Um, and also, incidentally, uh, when this whole thing in Afghanistan uh, collapsed, I think Kandahar actually fell first. Uh, I did go to the uh, west in Herat. Uh, that's on the border of Iran. Um, uh, and I didn't do any research, so I can't remember it off the top of my head. Like, I, I, all this is off the top of my head. Um, but I did end up on the east a little bit, and then a little bit to the north, uh, where it was actually really, really beautiful, um, such as rolling hills. It's not all desert in Afghanistan. Okay, so that's my experience there. Um, when I was there, uh, uh, one of my main functions was um, I was in charge of our linguist program and actually managing all the linguists uh, for that um, for that special operations unit in Afghanistan. So we had like a headquarters, and then we had a, um, a east, north, south, and a west component that, that um, <clears throat> we had linguists assigned and um, I was in charge of like allocating that, uh, negotiating new contracts. Uh, one of the biggest things I worked on when I was there was like about a uh, $1 billion contract to fund new linguists. And um, also just some other stuff, uh, deal, just dealing with um, just different like missions in Afghanistan that I probably shouldn't get too, too much into. So. All in all, when I first heard about the Afghanistan stuff, a couple emotions, like one is anger. Um, well, I was like, what the fuck, you know? Like, what's the point of going there, right? We moved in in 2001. Uh, at the time, right, Osama bin Laden was responsible. Um, he uh, was supposed to be in Afghanistan and working with the Taliban. And uh, the Taliban are, uh, local militia, um, a lot of their older leadership was actually trained by the U.S., by the CIA in the 70s when uh, we trained these local Afghans to fight against uh, the Russians that were invading at the time. And you'll, you'll see a theme here, how we kind of just keep fucking ourselves, right? Um, and then Al-Qaeda is like a bigger network, and the Taliban were sympathetic with Al-Qaeda. Uh, if I remember correctly, again, all of this stuff is just off the top of my head. I didn't actually go uh, research this and I haven't really thought much about it in a few years because I own a gym now and I do other stuff. Um, but uh, while we were there, um, some things I noticed was that, one, there didn't seem to be much of a point, right? Like we would just go around, we would do our thing. Uh, we were pumping a lot of money into Afghanistan as far as just spending, you know, paying the troops, paying contractors, uh, uh, paying local Afghans. And then there wasn't a clear mission. Like it was clear very early on 
that Osama bin Laden was in Afghanistan anymore. So then why were we still there? Why were, you, why were we even there in 2010? You know, um, and uh, I had a very different perspective at the time. Right? I'm like, okay, well, we're here to, we're here to actually like, protect our country. We're here to actually stabilize Afghanistan, establish a new government and change the culture. And at the same time, it was just very clear how corrupt the local government was. I would actually argue that the local government um, was just as bad as the Taliban, more even worse. It just, we had a US troop presence backing them so they were able to stay in power, right? You had to like give an analogy. It's like um, you have a, a, you have someone who's like really, really wealthy. Uh, they have a useless son, just, just not, not capable, not useful, and also kind of a dirt bag. But because he's that person's son, that, uh, the son is promoted into like some position of power in a company and basically given like a very uh, uh, a cush job and given uh, authority and, 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 and power in the company because of more of the status. And it was very corrupt, the Afghan government. Uh, I remember uh, like one big thing, one of our missions supposedly was that uh, I think Afghanistan was like one of the largest uh, poppy seed um, producers in the world and then like with the poppy seed uh, you can make that into opium right and one of the things was hey we're actually getting getting rid of opium in the world but there are all these parts uh, of poppy seeds fields that we weren't allowed to touch because it was the president's brother's poppy seed field at the time right and that came from the top that came from um, either the leadership in Afghanistan our military leadership or even further up, like from the Pentagon, right? Like just things like that, a lot of bribing going on, um, just a lot of, uh, you know, just, just these dirt bags that we put into power and then they just basically bled the country dry in their own way and took a lot of our resources from the US and, and um, there was just that like shitty sun that, you know, it was very clear as soon as we stopped supporting that government, it was gonna fall apart. I could have told you that in 2010, I think, uh, most people that were there that were aware of what's going on could have told you the same thing, right? And at the same time, like, in Afghanistan, uh, one of the nicknames for the place is called the Graveyard of Empires. So even back when the Mongols invaded it, uh, I want to say uh, the Russians, I know there's like another big like empire at the time, it might be like the Ottoman, don't quote me on that, and obviously the US. Every single superpower of the day that went in there and tried to take over the place ended up just stalling and eventually failing. And then um, shortly after that, um, the empire actually started crumbling. You know, we'll see what happens to the US. Obviously there's a lot of turmoil going on here, uh, but it just doesn't work out. And part of the reason is because the terrain is very, very rough there. Um, there's areas where they're just like, just very rough terrain with like the mountains and everything. Um, and it's a very tribalistic country. So, uh, we tend to think of it like, oh, we establish a government, we unite the Afghans. Like, the Afghans don't actually relate to themselves as one country. They relate to it as more of like a tribe, and then that's been ingrained to their culture. So when you're trying to artificially change the culture and put this government there, it was never going to work, right? And um, <clears throat> it was just clear at the time, like, for every, for every mission we conducted or terrorists we killed, we were actually radicalizing more local Afghans and creating more future terrorists. Like it was just, it was just a shit show there. And like, I don't know why we were there. You know, I talked about this in like an earlier uh, podcast. Um, uh, the reason why, right, we went to Afghanistan in 2001, I think it was 03, we went into Iraq, 
right? And then that was Saddam Hussein. And uh, the official reason was that he had WMDs, weapons of mass destruction, right? And then it was later confirmed when we went in there, we never found any. George uh, W. Bush uh, even openly admitted like, oh, well, I guess we had a wrong intel. So we literally invaded a country, overthrew the, um, the ruler there. And Saddam is not some saint, right? He did some terrible stuff. Uh, but there are way worse dictators around the world that we could have taken out than Saddam, you know? And the, again, the government that we implemented in Iraq was also, from what I heard, I was in Iraq, just as corrupt, very inadequate. And then I think we, when we moved most of our troops out, I want to say in 2012, uh, shortly after ISIS, well, they keep changing their name, but ISIS, which is that like radical Islamic, um, I forgot whatever the name of the group is, ended up taking over shortly after. And right, because as soon as the U.S. leaves, again, that shitty son who has no position being the power or being in, in the position that they're in, can't handle what's going on. And then the powers that be, whoever was meant to take over, just takes over. Okay, so um, some anger. Just you know, I don't. I didn't have anyone close to me that died in Afghanistan, but I knew people that died. It wasn't some alarming rate. Um, uh, I remember when I was in uh, there in 2010, we had our 1,000th casualty. So we had 1,000 people die in about uh, nine, nine plus years, right? Which is a little over 100 a year, right? So like, you know, you ever heard, saw that movie Hurt Locker where like you're driving around every day, there's just like bombs exploding, you're getting shot at, right? Like 120 people dying a year is like less than the people dying in Orlando. Now, to just kind of give you an idea, like in a whole country, that's the size of like Texas with uh, way more people than Orlando. So it's not some like super high casualty rate, but like, why were we there? You know, and then what was our mission there? And um, uh, one of the things that uh, I always felt was very off was like the politicians, right? Used us as like always like a, like a, a talking point, like, hey, you know, our American heroes or soldiers, you know, when you walk around, when I had to walk around in our uniform, People are like, thank you for your service. And then in my mind, I'm like, what did we actually do? You know, like we went over there, we invaded this country. Um, uh, we actually made it worse off, in my opinion, than before we got there, which is, you know, come on. And then, and then we you spent a lot of taxpayer dollars and then that whole operation was used as a justification to just push all these uh, bills and stuff through. We're like, oh, it's under the, uh, the guise of national defense. So then you could just push all this stuff through and just spend all this money. And, and we weren't really making the world a better place. I would argue that we weren't actually making America safer. And then we actually created more future terrorists. And then we were bound to really not accomplish much and then have that effect reverse and get worse, which actually happened by the time we left, you know? And, and, um, while I was there, most people in the military, if I said this, would kind of agree with some of the stuff that I said about being in Afghanistan, but it would be really hard for them to uh, accept that, that maybe the military isn't as doing things that are as honorable as we're told it should be, you know? Um, when you're in the military, you swear an oath to def defend the Constitution. And uh, 
I was born in Taiwan, you know, and I naturalized uh, with my parents when I was a kid. Uh, I consider myself an American. Uh, I love the country, you know. Uh, uh, there is like a, a spirit about it. There's a um, there's some principles that the country was founded on, you know, from even like escaping uh, religious persecution back in the day to even um, declaring independence from the Brits and then, you know, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness and like just that spirit and some of the stuff written into like the original, uh, the Declaration of Independence. Um, uh, I'm not a big constitutionalist. I think it's an old piece of paper, right? And then the times have changed. Some stuff can be updated, but the spirit of it is very noble and uh, I appreciate it. And it's not like our founding fathers were perfect, right? And again, if we can't even trust what the media is telling us now, right? The narrative that we're being told, because it's so different depending on who you listen to. Do you really actually believe the, our version of history that we've been taught is fully believable and accurate, right? So uh, just something to, to keep in mind. But just like, just seeing this whole like thing with Afghanistan, it just made it even more clear to me just how broken our political system and then with the media aiding it um, is uh, it, the narrative that we spin, and when I say we, it's the government along with the media to the people, and then how people just buy in to the different narratives, um, and essentially almost like openly think, think, it's like we don't even question what's going on and they openly just give, give our money, uh, surrender certain freedoms uh, under the un, under the pretense that it's for your own good or it's for your country or or um, uh, it's you know it's for the men and women in the service uh, it just it just it just how like it just how it just very clear um, how broken the system is you know and I'll just talk about the military for a bit because I when I share my experience in the military a lot of people think like I I hated being in the military where I, I disliked the military where I had a miserable time. Like, I had a great time in the military. I was a, uh, I was a young officer. Um, uh, uh, I made more money than I ever made when I was in. I had a lot of freedoms. I was in charge of other people. Um, I, loved, I loved being in the military. I had a great time. I had very, very valuable experiences. I was sent to a lot of different places, saw and learned a lot of different things, uh, met really, really good people. Uh, I had a great time, you know, and at the same time, uh, as I was in, maybe I was only in for like four and a half years, but it was just became more and more clear as I was in that I was part of, part of a giant bureaucracy, you know. Um, we we're essentially, I don't want to use the word brainwashed, but told a lot of narratives that I just bought into at the time too. It was like, hey, this is the world's greatest air force. We have the most resources. We have the best training which actually is true, right? But also there's, it, it was, there was a lot of parts that were broken with it. Um, uh, in general, uh, I would say there wasn't that much of a difference from what I noticed between the physical fitness of people in the Air Force and then people outside the Air Force. You know, we, we had this physical fitness test that we we're supposed to take either every six months or 12 months. Uh, the standards are pretty low. It's, you know, it was like a mile run, mile and a, uh, mile and a half run. Uh, push-ups in a minute and sit-ups in a minute and like the standards are pretty low to even pass and there was these all these people who would get on a medical waiver so basically they would go see a doctor and then have some reason where they couldn't take the physical fitness test 
and just sit on a waiver and then not take the test. You know, um, the way we promoted one was based on time and grade. So basically, how much time have you been in, right? The more time you've been in, a lot of, especially a lot of the lower ranks, it was like an automatic promotion. And then, uh, <clears throat> then you write these like bullets for your uh, for for the officers. It was called an OPR. Uh, I think I forgot what the, it actually stand for. But basically, you have bullets of your accomplishments, and then you quickly learn like the accomplishments. It's just how do you spin something, and like it's almost like you get rewarded for writing bullets really well. And then I noticed that um, when I was in. It's not like every young officer was great, but there was a lot of really smart, capable young officers. And then as people have been in longer and gotten older, right? Because the more capable people see the same thing and they leave. And you start getting all these people that just learned to play the system and were embedded in the system. And so you actually get up to like the colonels, which is a pretty high rank. And then like even the generals, there were very few colonels um, and even generals that I actually respected, you know, and it's not like, and it's not like I'm a disrespectful person, you know, as far as, uh, uh, you know, just, they just, there's nothing about them that actually inspired confidence or, uh, uh, or, or gave off a sense of feeling where they were like sharp, they had their shit together. Uh, what I saw a lot more often was uh, people that have been in the system for longer know how to give the Air Force answer. You know, they would kind of say the right thing and it's kind of hollow, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it. And the way they do things, it was just very, um, it was just like a mid-level manager, like trying to make sure everything looks good on paper. It didn't feel like, it just didn't feel like, like we were organized and, and, and set up to win really well. And I only had two leaders out of maybe, um, I will say there's probably like 30 or 50, 30, 40 that I came across that I was like, man, this guy's this guy sharp. This guy has his shit together. Uh, and both of those leaders actually were not, weren't even my normal leadership. It was actually leadership I had when I was in Afghanistan, you know, and that's a very, very low percentage. Um, I will say this, the... This phrase has been coming to mind a lot more lately. Um, so there's a uh, there's an author called Ayn Rand, very controversial. I don't know why some people want to make it a political thing, but she has very like strong ideas about about personal responsibility and people taking responsibility in society and how um, how how you actually produce and how much value you bring is actually the only thing that's real. And then like the illusion that you're working really hard or trying to basically make it where it's not your fault um, uh, doesn't really do anything, right? Rather than focus on it not being your fault, it's like, how do you make a difference? How do you take personal responsibility? That's kind of her general theme. So she has a book called Atlas Shrugged. And one like famous quote that was said over and over from that book was uh, check your premise, right? Or check the premise. And uh, the whole idea is that if something can't be reconciled or it doesn't seem to make sense or seems a little bit off, you want to actually check maybe some of the starting ideas that you're coming from, right? So like, for example, um, uh, if there is one right now that, hey, the government is actually out 
you know, the people in charge of the government are actually, um, their primary objective is to make sure that the country is healthy and the people are thriving and they're actually making the country as well off as possible. That's a premise, okay? And if you're starting from that place, then it would make sense that what the people in the government are saying and then how they're influencing the media and what the media is saying is actually true, right? But if the people that are in charge are actually out to consolidate power and they're looking out for their own good and then to um, reward a certain group of people that are their friends or, 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 or also like, you know, like colluding with them, then a lot of the stuff that they're saying and doing and the narrative they're putting out might not actually be for your own good, right? So like you check your premise, you kind of get the idea, okay? So um, something I always thought was, what was the premise? What was the reason why we went to Afghanistan? You know, um, uh, where, while we were there, there was a lot of contractors there, right? So when you're contracting, you make a lot of money. I remember for my particular job, I was doing pretty well when I was there, right? But if I was a contractor um, doing the same thing, at the time, I would have made about like 280 grand a year. I did have to be in Afghanistan for 11 months. And then you get, I think, two weeks off. Uh, 280 grand, and then like the first $90,000 is not taxed, you know? And there was a lot of contractors there. They were just sitting there playing like cannon fodder, Pac-Man, you know, answering the chat, just kind of dicking around all day. And I even overheard them all the time, like planning on, hey, I'm gonna do this for four years, I'm gonna do this for five years and save up money. Um, while doing the minimum amount of work, definitely not making a difference in Afghanistan and changing the culture and making the world a better place, right? And I'm not saying those people were bad because I actually thought I was gonna do that, but like the premise, fundamentally, the whole function of contracting for people is how do I take advantage of this massive amount of money to um, set myself up for the future, right? And then when you're hiring a bunch of those people to conduct the mission, when they have no intention to actually help make the country a better place or helping us win, even though there's no definition for what winning is for us, and then like leave, right? You, you're actually gonna perpetuate the war. Um, if a politician, their goal is to just stay in their position or move up into a more lucrative or more powerful position, and it's how do they actually gain uh, votes or uh, side with the right people, or uh, uh, if you guys are familiar with lobbying, right? So basically different, say the big pharma or um, some Wall Street bank or, or whoever has some kind of interest and they basically pay money. Hey, you know what, we're gonna help fund your campaign. And those politicians are taking those money from those people. Is there interest with the people or is there interest to actually reward the people that are paying them and then, um, and then basically scratch the people's back that are scratching their back, right? And then, uh, uh, or if you even look uh, into, into our medical system today, right? There's, it's almost like you could categorize modern medicine into two categories, uh, right? There's a part where there's some kind of like accident, like car accident, heart attack, uh, things where uh, there's like miraculous or even like sports injuries, right? Someone tears the ACL, they go into surgery, they repair it, and, and they're back after six months. And like a year later, they're actually performing just as good or even before, better than they were before. Right? Where like my business partner Steve had a heart attack, coded, basically died outside the hospital, 
they were able to actually bring him back and he's been operating relatively fine for the last few years. Right? Those are miraculous things. And uh, then there's the other part where it's almost like working in conjunction with our society getting sicker and sicker where, okay, this person has diabetes, right? Let's address the symptom. So we're gonna control the blood sugar and you know do insulin, whatever, but never actually make them well, you know, like, like figure out what caused type two diabetes to be happening more and more often. Why is it happening in younger and younger adults and even kids? It used to be called like adult onset and now you have like eight year olds diagnosed with type two diabetes, right? And like the modern medical medicine, which has a, is largely influenced by big pharma, um, <clears throat> uh, there's no incentive there to actually address that. Kind of like the contractors in Afghanistan, right? It just, hey, you know what? We can provide these solutions that aren't really solutions. They're just suppressing the symptoms for these problems, which is maybe caused by our diet or, or whatever. Um, and then we could just make more and more money, right? And um, uh, I'll, I'll end with this. Like, for those of you that actually think voting makes a difference, you know, um, how do we even get the candidates that we get? You know, you guys understand this is Democratic primaries or the, uh, the GOP, the, the Republican primaries, right? There's all these candidates, delegates, delegates, right? People that, um, were nominated that are supposed to represent the people are the ones that are actually voting on um, for the candidates. And then a lot of the delegates, they actually get money and, and, and are influenced by lobbyists as well, right? You can see, you can just kind of see how like the whole system, by the time you get Biden and Trump, right? It's already been so messed up <laughs> that you're forced to, vote between some guy who probably has dementia and then some man-child who uh, just throws a fit, uh, uh, is very disrespectful, and that's your choice. And then when we're told, hey, you know, do your part, do your part. It's your right as an American to vote. And like, if you actually want to make a difference, vote. Whereas what about actually seeing just how broken the system is, raising that issue and then having more people become aware of this and then automatically the system has to shift, right? Um, that's kind of my final message for this. I'll end on a positive note. Uh, all of this can change. And if you're really seeing kind of how broken or how, how, how many problems there are in the world, the very first thing and most important thing you can do is to take personal responsibility for yourself. You know, anything, honestly, anything that's average is at a pretty low quality level. You know, if you're average in fitness, basically you're at 50%, that's really not that fit. If you're average in, uh, um, in your relationship, let's just say you're married, I mean, the divorce rate's like 55, 60%. Right, so if you're fifty percent, your you know your 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 relationship is actually probably not going to work out. And then never mind like the people that don't get divorced but stay together. How how many of those relationships are working? Right, uh, when it comes to your education level, when it comes to um, the so the public narrative. So if everything that's average is n probably not that good, 
what makes you think that when there's like a consensus or when there's like a majority opinion on something, that's actually like the best way to go. That's even right. All right. But it's so easy to feel comfortable um, just just being in the narrative and we just kind of buy off of the, the emotional uh, play with it, the polarization where it's either side A or side B and whichever side you pick, right? That's a side of justice. That's a side that's right. That's a side where we're, we're, um, we're doing good for the country and the other side is the evil side. That it's their fault. It's their fault. If you buy into any of those, you're literally buying into a very um, unconscious narrative that's actually not really what's going on. You know, it's always a little bit more complicated just to see, it's just to see what, it's always, it's almost always gray. I'll put it that way. And um, the more you could take care of yourself where you make it a, a, a personal pride to take better care of your body to you know if you have stuff that's going on mentally to actually go um, do self-development or even get a therapist or to actually be able to communicate and then express and then move some of the stuff that you've been avoiding uh, uh, to educate yourself to research stuff online to actually learn just basic principles of how stuff works you know like don't get into the conspiracy theory stuff Right? Understand how our political system works, how people get rewarded from doing certain things, and are those people that are getting rewarded actually providing values. When you understand those basics, then these fear-based um, narratives that just sway people left and right won't have much of an effect on you. you know? And when enough people can do that, automatically the system has to change. I don't necessarily think there's like some big evil corporation or big evil person the mastermind like running everything it's just in general people are asleep they're not educating themselves they're not um, they're not actually in a place where where the government or the medical system or the education system or the economic system has to actually evolve from whatever it was before to actually be able to support this new consciousness you know and that's why I talk a lot about self-awareness and then working on actually developing the ability to be more conscious and make yourself more useful and be more awake and also help other people be more awake. Okay, so it's kind of like a long rant. Um, hope you guys got some stuff out of it. Thank you for listening or watching and I'll talk to you guys next time.